Hey everyone, if you love ice cream as much as I do, you need to hear about my particular favorite, Magnum Ice Cream. They are the best at pairing decadent chocolate with velvety ice cream, and recently, the incredible team Extraordinaries there came out with a new flavor featuring the recently discovered Cacao Ruby. Ruby is the first chocolate variant in 80 years and has a little bit of a berry flavor and it's delicious. And they came in cute mini sizes, which makes them perfect for sharing with your loved ones. So next time you go out and get ice cream, definitely get a Magnum ice cream bar and try the new Magnum Ruby minis. Yum. Hi everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. I am making another plug. Guess what? For me, I wouldn't be taking all this great advice I've been being given by listening to these incredible women if I didn't also say, hey, when you're in the market for a new bag, an amazing clothing item or shoe, buy me, buy woman owned, support us, goes a long way. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and you enjoy uh, wearing me while you're listening. Today's guest is Farrell Morse, the founder of Farrell Robin. She's one of the only women to have her own company in the cutthroat industry of shoes. Having had a shoe brand, I can tell you it is male dominated and she has persevered and done it for almost 20 plus years, raised children during this time and is a really stellar example of what it means to be an entrepreneur and a mother and a founder. Take a listen. Welcome. Hi. So I met you at a women's dinner. You did. You handed me your card. I did. (laughs) And then you sent me an email about coming on this podcast. And when you kind of explained to me your story, I was like, holy shit, this is a story that needs to be told because I think hearing, just hearing your story and how, what you had to do and how you had to do it as a woman entrepreneur in the time of the 80s, I'll just say it, that's a very specific time. Um, I just want to be able to tell that story. So can you give a background about what Feral Robin is and a little bit of your journey? Sure. My story is cool because I'm one of the first. I was in high school in the 80s and I bought a pair of pants that were pretty expensive at the time. And I came home and my mother was horrified. And she said to me, "Um, return them. And my response was, these jeans make me so happy inside. My soul is singing. And she said, well, my soul is not particularly happy. Return the pants. Um, and was it uh, her money? It was the money. It was, they, they were, but, a, they were $110 at the time. But were, was it her money? Yeah, it was okay. her money. I was in high school <laughs> okay. and, um, she actually made me, um, after negotiating for a while, she actually said, return the pants for a store credit and get a job. Um, and I was a junior in high school at the time. And that is exactly what I did. I am grateful to this day that neither Sududo's ice cream or, Pizzeria Uno called me back first, but Kenneth Cole did. And I started my first um, job in New York City uh, selling retail shoes for Kenneth Cole. And I am absolutely convinced I was a cobbler in my last life. I spent every day after school selling shoes, every weekend selling shoes. I spent senior cut days selling shoes. Uh, Sent in a late application to FIT and never left the industry. Um, Without a doubt, I found my calling. Um, So... I have done everything in the industry that one could possibly do before I started my company. So who did you work for before starting your company? 
everybody. Um, <laughs> I sold retail for Kenneth Cole. I was a buyer for the Aldo Group. I was the worst customer representative that Aerosols ever had to this day. <laughs> um, literally, this is back in the time of like hitting the F7 button and wondering why shit's not happening. Like when you go to the elevator and you just keep hitting the button and it's not coming. I swept factory floors. I went to Italy to learn how to pattern make shoes. Um, I did everything. Um, and then I worked for um, BBC International, which is a trading company. And I don't know if everybody uh, or your audience understands the difference between a trading company and a brand. Um, and a trading company is a company that designs and develops product for retailers and or other brands. Um, and that was a huge introduction into design and development for me. That that probably changed my life. And I have to say, I was really fortunate that I have worked for some very smart and very talented and very generous people in my life. With that being said, there wasn't a day in my life that I did not know that I would be an entrepreneur. I was that kid that was in the principal's office on a regular basis. I did not take direction very well. I do not like being told what to do. If you have a multiple choice question, I get stuck on the medium right question and become obsessed with, well, why can't that answer be right? In college, I would write Farrell Robin <laughs> on all my papers. Um, so there wasn't a moment in time that I did not know I would start my own company. But I sucked it up for a really long time and worked really hard and did a lot of shit that I did not want to do. <laughs> Which um, I think is part of the journey, right? I mean, I feel like you learned so much doing that stuff. Um, I learned so much um, from really smart people. And a big part of what I learned was patience. So... Most people think fashion is for women. Um, the industry is has a, is a very male dominated. I <laughs> still is. I was gonna say, and with shoes, I feel like every man, it's it's like all men, you know, with yeah. the exception of you and a few others. Um, these award shows, all the men, all the old men get up and talk, and I'm like, where are all the women here? Yeah. So when you approached your company and launching it, I think what's fascinating is how you've made sure your values really come through. So I'd love for you to talk about what you've done with your factories, the childcare, like yeah. how you as a woman have said, let me do this right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you go back to part of what I learned. What I learned was I will never be like that. I mean, I grew up in the industry when I walked down the hallway and I think I had said this in the letter, um, you know, I, I would have conversations like, so there's just two of us. I know who, like, whose hand is on my ass. Um, <laughs> we're not on a subway. We can't pretend that it's somebody else's briefcase. Right. I'd like you to remove it. I worked in a time when it was not uncommon for me to be in Asia. And after dinner, I would be dropped off at the hotel. I mean, the behavior was so inappropriate and, and unacceptable. And in many respects, it made me a baller, frankly. Like there is not a lot of bullshit that I will put up with. And inappropriate behavior is absolutely unacceptable to me. Um, but it also really empowered me mm -hmm. in, in many ways. Um, you know, I have a voice and I have a voice because, because I put up with a lot of, I mean, actually I didn't put up with a lot of shit, but I was put in positions where 
I had to stand up for myself. Right. That women today actually don't have to, frankly, are not asked, you know, when somebody misbehaves, that person is called on pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. Certainly the women in my office are never put in that position. Right. But what it allowed me to do is, is go into to business and say, we will not run a company that way. Um, so where does it showcase itself? Like, you know, how the factory workers are treated. And, and I'll just say this, that before you go into it, you make shoes for huge brands. Yeah, we make shoes for huge brands. And can you name some of them so that people can be like- We make shoes for everybody from Target, Amazon. Uh, we work with companies like Aldo and Torrid and um, Lane Bryant and uh, Anthropology Free People. We work with a lot of really large brands. And I think- Really what happened was when I started my company, there was this feeling that the men in the industry just totally underestimated women. And it was so offensive to me. When I started working in the industry, there was high-end product from Italy that was beautiful. And then there was junior product. And there was nothing in between as if all corporate American men assumed women worked as lawyers or admin assistants as if all anybody who could afford anything between at the time $89 and 110 had to wear brown flats right and there was nothing creative as if women were not creative at all and that was really where we had started as a company and then i really became a bit of an advocate for all women if a woman is hungry if she only has $15 to pay for a pair of shoes understanding that design and price point were not mutually exclusive, then we have an obligation to give this woman who is literally choosing a meal for her children and a pair of shoes, then we better fight to give her the best goddamn shoe that she can afford. There is no reason that that woman needs to put on a pair of shoes that is ugly. It is simply unacceptable. Right. And if it's $15 or it's $59 or it's $159, we have a responsibility to give her the best value that we possibly can. And I remember walking into China and talking to the factories that we were working with and saying, we understand the quality that you are expected to produce for our competitors. And our competitors are big. They are really, really large companies. We understand what their QC requirements are. We understand what our retailers' QC expectations are. Ours are higher. You work for us. Our value, being such a small privately owned company at this point, is design and quality. And you either buy in or you don't work with us. And shockingly enough, they bought in. And I would go to China and I would be working on that factory line and I would be picking up the shoes. And it's really personal for me. Because it offends me the way men underestimate women. And then it became the plus size market. Like, why are men assuming that a plus size woman has no taste? Right. It is so offensive. Right. It is, insults me to the core. And now we're working on plus sizes. In Like, we, we did a program for Amazon where we're bringing women's shoes up to 15 and 16 because there's an entire LGBTQ community that are entitled to footwear. And the notion that it is not financially conducive for large footwear companies uh, to invest in lasts and components for these women 
okay, I get it. It's not in your financial interest. It is in our moral and ethical DNA. DNA. Jinx. Perfect. Jinx. <laughs> DNA yep. t- to offer these women product. And that's the way we roll as an organization. Um, there's this really um, cool expression that talks about you can't keep it if you don't give it away. And that's really how we run our company. We believe that everybody that we touch needs to be better off for it. And um, that's where this child care center comes in. If you think about business uh, in general, like when we talk about business, the reality is it's still so personal to me. We want our consumers to put on a pair of shoes and be like, fuck, I'm awesome. Like these shoes feel good. They empower me. I look good. This is exactly what I was looking for in every sense of the word. And if they for 19, for 59, for 325, because the diversity of our consumer base is incredibly broad. And then the buyer that actually took a risk on me, not my company, because I'm responsible for my company. The buyer who actually took a risk on me is selling shoes and she looks good. And at the end of the year, her bonus is higher. Like I made him or her, and most of the time it's a her, frankly, she looks better for it. And her company's PL at the end of the year is better off because of it. And our account reps feel good because of it. Right. They're just, it's a feel good. It's not about, and frankly, I, I feel comfortable saying this. Most of the people that work with Farrell Robin are doing it because they're passionate about, they love their job. They love what they do. They come into an office that's playful and fun and they're learning and it's cool. They're empowered by the job that they did. And then we go back to our partners overseas, and I consider every single person that we work with a partner that we advocate for on a regular basis. And we say, how do we make your life better? Right. How do we thank you for being our partner? And Which um, I have to say is very rare. I mean, there's the due diligence that a lot of companies do to make sure there's no child labor. But beyond that, there's not much that most people do to make sure that their workers are taken care of. So I don't know anybody who does it. Right. Like I honestly don't anybody who does it. And it's, I, I actually had a really interesting conversation with one of the factory owners, I think it was last year where um, I was in China and I was actually working on patterns with one of the, with one of the designers, which is, makes me so happy. Like I love making shoes. And he actually called me in the office and said, you know, I feel like I need to tell you that we're going to, be shifting locations. And there's going to be about three months where we're going to have this human resource glitch. And the only reason I'm telling you is because I've never seen a company owner, like get on the floor of a factory and show somebody how to make a shoe. And I just like you. (laughs) And I was like, all right, cool. And because we just had this conversation, I'm going to shift production for three months. And when you give me the like the green flag, I'm going to shift it back, like out of that honest partner relationship so that we can be real partners. But in this notion of you can't keep it if you don't give it away, as a working mom, I had such a hard time leaving my kids. Like it was, I mean, I used to get on planes with my How son old are and your daughters. Kids? They're, now, they're now 15 and 16. Okay. But they How were, old were they when you had to go to China? Oh my God, they were, they were, they were infants. They were toddlers. Like it was, I was too far in the company to get out. Like I couldn't financially get out and take the time 
without losing the investment money. Like I just didn't, I didn't even, not that I really wanted to, but you know, even that moment of, can I stop for three years and then start again? I would have lost, you know, 10,000 that I had borrowed from my parents who I actually gave 50% of the company to for that $10,000. And, you know, I was, and I, the notion of losing their money would have killed me. So I was too far in. And I used to get on the airplane with my kids. I used to cut their sleeves off of their shirts and put their baby lotion on it and just like smell it the whole time. Mm. And I like, I used to like cry when I was leaving them. It was so painful. It's still painful. <laughs> it's, it's a, oh, well, now they're 15 and 16. So it's like, <laughs> Now, well, now there's Wi-Fi. It's worse. Like, like I was like flying over Shenzhen and my son FaceTimed me and the whole plane's looking over. <laughs> but, um, but it was so painful. And every time I walk into a factory and I, I, and it's, it's actually interesting. This came in two different, two different forms. One was it used to break my heart knowing that these women and men didn't get to see their families. So the workforce in, in, in Asia, in China specifically, is transitory. So, and this is cultural. So many of the women and men travel hours and hours and hours from where their homes are to work in these factories. Um, so their kids are either raised by their grandparents and or go to boarding schools. And again, this is part of the culture. And I have a hard time judging other cultures. Like far be it for me to walk into another culture and judge and with all the traveling I've done in the world and the philanthropic work I've done in the world, I understand that we can cause as much trouble having opinions as we can by not. So, um, but it does pain me actually as a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually created these um, summer camp child centers where during the summer months, which is about three and a half months during the summer, We bring the children of all the factory workers um, that we work with and we, we rent spaces or we, we utilize these spaces in schools. And it took us a very long time to figure this out. It took us a shocking long time to figure this out. We hire the staff of the schools, including the nursing staff. Um, We utilize their school rooms. Um, We offer them breakfast and lunch. We supply the transportation from their homes. Some of them have pools. We, we do one in the North and the South now, and we have about three factories that send their kids and they get to see their children 40% more annually. Um, yeah. And we're the, the, the first footwear company actually that created something like this. I don't actually know of any others, uh, today. That's amazing. And what's so fascinating about this is one of the questions that I used to ask myself when I'm on these factory lines. And remember, we're talking quantities of shoes of a hundred thousand pair of a black boot. I mean, and I, and I used to stand on these production lines and think, how do they make this personal? Like, you know, you're watching somebody pick up a boot, move it to the next person, like pick up a boot, put the cement on the bottom, hand it over. And quality is so important to me. Like every, like actually everything is important to me. Like I I watch it and it literally, I'm like, can you place it down a little bit more lightly? Like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's personal. Like if somebody doesn't put their sample down nicely, I get, you know, that's your lifeline. (laughs) Um, And I used to sit and think, how, how do we make something like this personal? Because honestly, after the fifth black boot, 
Do you see anything but black? Right. And when we got feedback from this program, part of the feedback was, we don't know how to say thank you for something this awesome in our lives. Like nobody has ever done anything like this for us. And we didn't believe an, a, an American would care like this, or, or we didn't actually, you know, we are so moved and touched. The only way for us to say thank you is to want to make better shoes. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not what motivated us to do this, but it's, wow, maybe she'll put that shoe or he will put that shoe down a little <laughs> bit more carefully next time. But wow. Yeah, it's been really cool. That's amazing. So I'd love to ask my guests two questions uh, as part of the podcast, something we'd be surprised to know about you. Totally think my spirit animal is a phoenix. Okay. I'm really kick-ass when um, when shit hits the fan. Okay, it's a good quality. And what is hard-won advice that you'd like to pay forward? Um, you are only as good as your word. Like I literally can run my entire business on a handshake. I started on a handshake. I will never, ever, ever go back on my word. And everybody that I work with from the factories in mainland China to my retailers know that. And you started this business with $10,000. I started it with less, actually. I started this business with no money. Um, I started this business in a pair of pajamas in my apartment. I gained 10 pounds because I had a phone and a refrigerator. Um, <laughs> and the notion of a trading company, which is actually why we're a trading company, is um, that you really don't have to lay out money. And we were a brand for a short period of time. And, you know, our value is this notion of customization. Like we were way ahead of our time in realizing that if if brands did not figure out what the value of their product is to their customers, they were going to become antiquated. Mm -hmm. And that is really what Farrell Robin does exceptionally well. Like the value of Amazon's product, even though it is the same price and in many respects demographic as Target's, is incredibly different. And that's really where we ended up in this trading company concept. And Farrell Robin has gone through many evolutions. We're very amorphous. We're very speedy and quick. If something doesn't work, we move fast. We're, you know, super sharp. But Farrell Robin literally started in my studio apartment in a pair of pajamas. Um, and my financial investment was my salary. Wow. Fascinating. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was Farrell Morse, the founder of Farrell Robin. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Thank you, as always, for writing in. Sometimes I'm not the quickest at getting back to you, but I promise you I'm reading your reviews. I'm reading your comments, and I appreciate them so much. Keep listening, keep downloading, keep sharing, and thanks for making this a joy to bring to you.